When you really look at the different ways in which scripture depicts the character of Satan, you see that it's a much more complex and nuanced portrayal across different passages of scripture, Old Testament versus New Testament, Hebrew scriptures versus Christian scriptures. And when you start to understand the role that Satan has in scripture, that can help you figure out, okay, what does this mean for when we're reading this passage? And then when we're talking about popular culture, where do we see these depictions emphasized or maybe pushed back on, or they just don't pay attention to it at all? I'm Yvette Walker, the host of the Positively Joy podcast, where we discover that joy is not a feeling, it's faith. You can find previous episodes at PositivelyJoy.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. However you found yourself here, you are welcome, and I believe it was truly God-destined. We are in Season 3, and this season has taken the podcast into the vantage point of what joy is. I'd like you to listen to each episode this season through the lens of how Jesus Christ defines joy. John chapter 15 verse 11 reveals this when Jesus tells us to keep the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Enjoy, and I pray you receive the message the Father has for you. Welcome to my conversation series with the Reverend Dr. Leah Shade on Art and Faith. Dr. Shade is an ordained Lutheran pastor and professor, and she is as obsessed about pop culture and how faith is represented in the arts as I am. This is part two of our series, but we started talking about films depicting the life of Christ during Holy Week. We launched the series talking about how the clergy is represented in film. And now we're going to talk about evil and how the devil and demons are shown in the arts. Let's jump into it. Hi, Leah. Thanks so much for returning to the show. I am looking forward to this, you know, occasional series of conversations that you and I will have about portrayals of religion in pop culture. And this is our second episode in the series. We've talked three times already, and definitely, listeners, if you haven't caught those, go back and listen to those. Uh, but this is our second official one, and um, I, I think it's going to be a great one. Talking about pop culture with you is always so enjoyable. <laughs> I agree, Yvette. I'm so glad that you reached out to me uh, several months ago and, and suggested this conversation, and I, I, I always enjoy these. All right. Well, introduce yourself to anyone who may not have listened to the other episodes. Sure. My name is Leah Shade. I teach preaching and worship at Lexington Theological Seminary. I'm an ordained minister in the ELCA, the Lutheran Church, and I have uh, pastored congregations in uh, three different areas in Pennsylvania before coming here to Lexington, Kentucky. And um, I'm very interested in the ways in which popular culture intersects with religion and how religion is depicted in popular culture. And um, I write a blog for Pathios called Eco Preacher, where I talk about some of these themes. And that's how you and I first got connected, Yvette. 
Absolutely. You wrote this great article about the the way the clergy was represented in Cobra Kai. And that was what our first conversation was about, and uh, which ran a few weeks ago. So uh, definitely, if you haven't heard that, check that out. Now, we act, this is this is legit now. We actually, and I and I, I say we, but really it was you. You created uh, a document which lays out all these different ways that religion is portrayed in pop culture. So, you know, I, I got to say that we are not just talking about this off the cuff. We have thought about this. We've broken it down into clergy, evil, and the devil, and religion in general. And we talked about clergy last time with the Cobra Kai episode. And today we're going to talk about evil slash the devil uh, and how that's portrayed in pop culture. Uh, but you were just telling me a little bit about a a series that, or well, a, a class that you taught on how the devil is portrayed in scripture. And what I thought was so interesting about that is he is much more complex in scripture, I think, than we see in pop culture, which can be a little bit more. I would say more one-sided or yes. yeah, one size fits all. Yeah. So yeah, I when I was a pastor at Reformation Lutheran Church in Media, Pennsylvania, we did a Lenten series on looking at Satan. Um, and uh, the subtitle was Satan, Serpent or Servant? Serpent wow. or Servant? Because when you really look at the different ways in which scripture depicts the character of Satan, you see that it's a much more complex and nuanced portrayal across different uh, passages of scripture, um, Old Testament versus New Testament, Hebrew scriptures versus Christian scriptures. And when, when you start to understand the role that Satan has in scripture, that can help you figure out, okay, what does this mean for when we're reading this passage? And then when we're talking about popular culture, where do we see these depictions emphasized or maybe pushed back on, or they just, they just don't, don't pay any attention to it at all. So I think it's important to understand like where, where does the, where does the uh, iconography and the, um, the imagery of Satan come from in the first place? And a good place to start is with scripture itself. You know, you would think that filmmakers and script writers would actually want a more nuanced, complex way of writing about the devil for their shows. So why is it, do you think, that we do tend to get a more one-sided, you know, representation? Part of that, I think, has to do with the way the human brain wants to divide things into purely good and evil. Those stories make for, for, for good, um, uh, good movies, usually, uh, sometimes not so good movies. Um, but we're not always trained into thinking about gray areas, nuance, complexity. Um, it takes a lot more mental work, emotional work to, to work through that sort of thing. So it's much easier to think of, okay, well, the devil is, you know, red skin, horns, pitchfork, um, that, that's, you know, the way we want to think about the devil as opposed to everything good. But actually that's not what we see in scripture. We see actually that, um, Satan has a couple of different roles. Sometimes Satan is, is depicted as the one who is the tester or tempter. 
So you see that in, of course, in Genesis, where Eve and Adam are tempted by the serpent, but also tested in the same way. Um, You see it in Job, in the book of Job. Remember, God and Satan have a deal about whether they can, whether uh, Satan can get Job to curse God. And, and so God gives Satan lots of power to do terrible things to Job because he's testing him. Yes. But, jo- but Satan isn't necessarily evil here. It's sort of this um, thought experiment that God and the devil are doing about a human being, right? So that's, it's, it's very interesting there. Um, and then you see in, um, in the Gospels where Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness, tests him. So that's, so that's one depiction of, Je- of, of Satan. Other times, Satan is depicted as a messenger. So for example, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, Satan um, giving a message that he doesn't want to hear, right? So sometimes Satan has a role of, of giving us a truth that we're not ready for. Mm. Another way is, uh, is depicting Satan as a prosecutor in a criminal trial. And we see this in, uh, in Zechariah chapter 3 and also in Luke chapter 22, where uh, Satan now has the ability to uh, bring evidence against human beings um, and to bring witnesses and to be um, sometimes uh, judge and jury in, in the situation. And then the last two are really what, what you see more um, in, in um, contemporary pictures of Satan, which is Satan as a, as a dominating power, which um, often manifests in, in systems itself. And then finally, Satan as the absolute destroyer. And um, absolutely no, no goodness, no purpose other than to destroy everything that is good. Mm. So there's sort of this spectrum of the way Satan is depicted in scripture, but you don't always see that so much in, in popular culture. There, we're going to talk about the different categories that we see in popular culture, but it's good to know that, that uh, scripture itself is a little bit more complex. And when you talk about Satan, Satan or the devil or demon, because yeah. that's, those are all kind of different ways of talking about it, uh, being powerful, would you say that when we see possession, because a lot of what we see in, so, in pop culture is the possession aspect, is that part of the powerful, do you think? Yeah, and, and you see a lot of that aspect, in, especially in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus has to do a lot of exorcisms of, of, of demons, uh, spirits that have taken over a person. In one story, uh, a man who is uh, in the country of the Gerasenes has been taken over not just by one demon, but a legion of them, lots of them. And, and Jesus meets that man where he is, talks to him, and expels the demon and demons and um, makes them go into the pigs, and then the pigs throw themselves <laughs> over the cliff and drown themselves. So it's this very dramatic story. But throughout the Gospel of Mark, what you see is Jesus um, wrestling with these demonic powers that um, 
find ways to enter into human beings, human relationships, and human systems. So it's a metaphor, but it has very real consequences. Mm-hmm. And we also see that um, with Mary Magdalene, who had a demon, or, or more than one. Seven, seven demons, seven, right. Seven right. demons. Right. And, we, and, and, and I know we're not going to talk about the chosen today. I, I do hope to talk about that later. But we see Mary Magdalene as a major figure in the new show, The The Chosen, and they deal a lot with that fact. So yeah, but today, uh, today, I think we want to talk about uh, a few different, uh, some movies, some shows that get into this. And since we're talking about possession, maybe it's fitting that we start with The Exorcist. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) The, The Exorcist, so first of all, I know that when we're talking about when we talk about the devil and evil, it's scary. Yes. And Hollywood and TV like to play up on that. Absolutely. So many, many people listening, frankly, may not have even seen any of these movies or shows because they're too scary. I think that's interesting, though, because we like to sometimes say, you know, not today, Satan, or, you know, get behind me or whatever. And 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 we can talk about Satan as we see him portrayed in scripture, but we don't like to see it, actually mm. see it on TV or in the movies because it's too scary. Mm. And and The Exorcist is a very scary movie for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and it's scary for me. I love, love, love the battle between good and evil as it's portrayed. And, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm hoping that good wins, but I like to see that battle. And The Exorcist was one of the first movies like this that I saw as a teenager scared me. Uh, but I've seen it many, many times over the years. And there's a lot that I actually like about it. Hmm. I think I, so, you know, the, the possession itself is, is awful. I mean, let's just get that out of the way. Right. Everything you think a possession could be stereotyped or not. And stereotype was the word I was looking for. It was just locked in my brain. Um, you know, um, and and it being a child, it's right. hard to it's hard to see to watch a child suffer, right? Right. And that's a that's a that's a part of it. But so, in case you don't know, The Exorcist, uh, a demon. It could be the devil, but I think it's referred to here as a demon. Possesses uh, a child named Reagan. She is maybe twelve or thirteen years old. I could be wrong on that, uh, but she's you know she's not a little girl, but she's young young child, and. Um, she is, um, she's completely possessed. Speak, you know, speak, the, the demon speaks through her. She does very terrible things to others and to herself. I don't want to get into that because it's, it's nasty. Um, there's levitation, the bed moves, the whole deal. It's everything you think a possession could be is in this movie. But what's interesting to this movie are the priests who fight. Right. So we have an older priest who actually is retired. He is known to be, uh, you know, like the famous exorcist. He's retired, but the church asked him to come back in this case. And they pair him with a younger priest. So we have an older priest who I think is completely devout and completely confident in God and his abilities, but he's older and and tired, you know. 
and he has a heart condition. We have the younger priest who is wrestling with his faith. Right. He, he I don't know how old he is. He's, I, I think maybe he's in his 30s. I think so, yes. And he's wrestling with his faith. He has a mother who is, who is poor and elderly, and he can't really help her. And he feels a lot of guilt for that. Um, at one point, she goes to the hospital, and it's a very terrible hospital. He feels a lot of guilt for that. He tells other priests, colleagues of his, that he is struggling with it, that he's lost his, he says that he's lost his faith. Hmm. So I guess the question, one question is why did they pair him? But I mean, he's still a practicing priest. I think people like him. So he's paired with this, with this, you know, this older priest. Um, when they come into the room to battle this demon, the older priest knows what's going to happen. He is completely confident in God and his abilities. As I said before, the younger priest is freaked out. <laughs> He's never seen this. <laughs> um, and the older priest has to tell him things like, you know, uh, don't talk, don't talk to it. Don't let it get into your mind type of thing, you know, which unfortunately he does toward the end. And the, de- and the devil plays with him and talks like in the voice of his mother hmm. and, and, and guilt him, you know, to the, to the point where he actually starts hitting the girl because he's so upset. Hmm. Um, but, and, and I know some of you may not have seen this, so, so I, we're just going to say spoiler alerts in all of these things we're talking about. So major spoiler alerts, just want to warn you now, but, but at the end, um, when the older priest has a heart attack, and the devil has the devil with the stress has caused this heart attack. And so the older priest is, is on the floor, um, dead, I believe. I'm not sure about that. I have to go back and watch. But um, but the priest, even though he is wrestling with his faith, he gets, I guess, just this feeling of compassion, at least, at least that. And he tells the devil to come into him, to leave the child. And so the the demon devil does come into him and then he throws himself out of the window onto the pavement below and kills himself. And ostensibly the demon, I mean, I don't know how that's supposed to work, (laughs) Um, but he kills himself. Maybe it's a situation like the pigs where... Well, that, I mean, that's very much, you can see echoes of that same, of that story um, uh, in, in this contemporary version of an, of an exorcism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why I like the exorcist. I think the, I think the character development of the priests, both of them, uh, is so strong, you know, yes, maybe, maybe the devil is a one note, one key stereotype in this girl. Um, but but I will say before you know before we before the exorcism when they when she's just starting to beginning to be a little off and doing some odd things, they take her through a whole barrage of uh, medical tests and all kinds of things. And this was in the '70s. And when you watch this movie, it seems like medicine was in the dark ages. It looks terrible, but all these kinds of scans and things that they do, and the doctors say we can't find anything. And then that's when she goes to the exorcist. So again, I think this movie actually is very, very well written, well paced, well directed. Uh, it's it's scary, but I think for me, it's a really good um, 
representation again the devil probably is a stereo that's a stereotypical representation but i like the fact that the priests to the very end um fight against that and i'm guessing that in some way the devil is defeated at the end because uh, of the sacrifice that both priests make well and what you're what you can see in this story is that it hits on so many archetypes. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at a, a young girl who is approaching womanhood, that's a liminal place. So whenever anybody is in, a, a, in that liminal space where they're transfer, trans, uh, transforming from one stage of life to another, they're often more vulnerable. Mm. Um, the priest himself was in a liminal place because of his grief, because of his mother, um, be- because of his guilt. He was vulnerable. And, and you can see how um, just human culture needs ways to articulate this struggle that happens within people and it also within families that are trying to deal with this. So, you know, I actually... Um, where, where I teach at Lexington, I had some, uh, I gave some of the students in a preaching course the option to preach the story of the uh, Gerasene demoniac. And what um, all three of them picked this, and what they all hit on was the similarities to mental health issues, which we have much better language for today. But the kinds of ways that that people hurt themselves and the people around them, it almost seems like they are being possessed by something outside of themselves. They are not themselves. Mm. And 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 how does um, what does Jesus model for us in that? Which is again meeting people where they are, being willing to engage them, and being willing to take on that 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 demonic thing in order to purge it so that the person can be whole. Now, this isn't to say, I mean, I, I, th- I think there is some ambiguity at the end. You don't really like, well, what happens to the spirit? It's going, it's going somewhere. It's, you know, it's finding some other host, so to speak. Um, but what I think the, the message that we're supposed to get from this is compassion and love have more power than cruelty and um, and brutality and um, and and this kind of demonic power. Mm, so true, because when you think about it, just because the priest taunts the demon into coming into him, the demon doesn't have to go. I mean, mm-hmm. if if indeed he has his own mind, if if the demon has his own mind, and I don't know if that's true. Um, the, I, maybe maybe the idea of corrupting a priest is just so delicious. <laughs> he had, you know, even, even worse than corrupting a, a young girl, maybe that's a better thing for him. But, you know, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, yeah, why did he do it? So he went into him and then he, yeah, yeah. And, and you uh, can see, so if we were to contrast that with, say, the, the, the demonic depiction in the Harry Potter series, which is Voldemort. Mm-hmm. And you see how that demonic figure is able to enter into different individuals in different ways. 
um, you know, the whole core crux thing where he literally divides his soul so that he's able to find ways to exist and does horrible things to people. But what ends up, what defeats him in the end, and actually every point along the way, is the power of love and, and sacrifice for those we love. So that message, I, th- I think when, when we see popular culture reiterate that, which you also see in scripture, I mean, it's, you know, in Reve- the book of Revelation, what is it finally that defeats the beast, the, 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 the dragon? Um, it is, it's the self-sacrificing blood of the lamb. You know, the most vulnerable, one of the most vulnerable animals is a lamb. And so it's this self-sacrifice, this willingness to take on the demonic for the sake of those who are vulnerable. That is what defeats uh, evil in the end. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you bring up Harry Potter because some people uh, believe that Harry Potter as part of supernatural is anti-Christian. But for me, like you said, if I can see, if I can see a representation of Christ, through love and compassion. I mean, I can, you know, one thing about this show, we say God is everywhere. God is joy and God is love. So even in a, even in a movie like that, um, I can see that representation um, and, and, and get something from it, you know, understand it and get something from it. Right. It, what I, what I think is dangerous is to call something or, or try to censor something be, just because it's depicting it. It's not saying go do this, you know, go be a demon or, you know, it is, it's using metaphor. It's to represent the common human struggles that we all have. When we forget, I mean, the Bible is full of metaphor too. When we try to take things literally all the time, not only do we miss the, the richness of these sim- symbolic levels that the, in the way, in the poetry and with the ways they speak to human experience, but we also um, misrepresent what the original intention of the authors were, whether they were the biblical authors or uh, J.K. Rowling, who uh, once you get to the last book, you realize, oh wait, like she's quoting scripture in the in the in it. You know, it's on the the tombstone, and you realize, oh, she kind of tips her hand that this was informing her all along. And so all of the people who were saying, oh well, we need to ban these books, uh, they kind of have to eat their words because this actually strong themes of sacrificing for one's friends and um, um, uh, relying on uh, trusting a power bigger than yourself and giving yourself over to that power, knowing that 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 power has you and will bring you through. I mean, there's a, there's essentially a resurrection in, in Harry Potter. Um, You know, when he, he, he dies, right. But it's because he dies out of love that he is able to come back and is stronger and is able to defeat uh, Voldemort. Now, again, that was a big spoiler, but (laughs) most people have read it or watched the movies by now. But, and, and it's not to say that we all live happily ever after. I mean, if you go and then you, um, you look at the, uh, the follow-up um, with the, the, the cursed child, you see that, you know, it's not all wrapped up real simply and evil still exists and we still have to wrestle with that. So I appreciate the, um, it's not just Pollyanna-ish. We're still having to figure out how to process this in new and different ways. 
you know, God has given us a lot of gifts. And I think the gift of creativity uh, is, is an important one. And so when we see people use the themes that we see in the Bible, they use them in different ways. As long as I can see there being, a, you know, an intention of good, then I think it's okay. Um, but this is a good segue because some I question mm. and some I'm just not sure about. And, and we do have a category that is uh, sympathetic slash morally complex Yes, um, to, to this idea of evil and the devil. And um, there's lots of things we could talk about, but the one, the one that I, I really have had an issue with is, is the, the remake or the bringing back of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So Sabrina the Teenage Witch was an Archie comic book character. Um, she was one of the Archie friends. She was a witch, but she was a good witch in the, in the comic books. Um, they brought it back to Netflix. Um, it, it's had its third season. So I'm going to say maybe two years ago, maybe three. And I watched the first season because I was pretty excited about it to see what it was all about. It was dark, a much darker uh, portrayal of Sabrina. Uh, she's living in a home with her two aunts and a cousin. They're all witches. He's a warlock. She's about to approach her a birthday. I want to say 16th birthday, perhaps. Um, and she has to make a choice uh, of if she's going to go to the dark side or the light side. Hmm. And Apparently there is a choice. You can make this choice, which I think is very interesting. The whole idea about choice, because mm. we also talk about choice, choice on this show, but she gets to make her choice. I think that there's some pressure for her to go to the dark side and attend this kind of dark Academy instead of staying in high school with her friends. And she's got a boyfriend, you know, she's got a non warlock boyfriend and they don't know about it. Okay. So fine. The first season goes by. And there's some clues in here that I'm, I'm wondering, is this going to be the show for me? I'm not sure. But I finish it, I finish it out because I just want to see where they were going. Um, they get to the second season and the themes, she makes her decision and she has decided, she, and actually what happens is she, she makes a deal with the devil because of if she didn't make this deal, something else bad would happen. And, and I'm a little fuzzy on this. So if anyone else watches out there, um, she makes a deal and she decides to go to the dark Academy and leave high school and leave her friends. Um, but in the second season, which in which I stopped watching uh, the, not only the idea of Satan as a sympathetic character is there. We see a physical representation of him way too much for my liking. Mm. So first of all, um, there's a lot of greeting. Hail Satan is a greeting that they use quite often. And that's not something that's music to my ears. Mm. Then, um, the, then, then the statue of Satan that we've seen before, the statue uh, of Satan with the children on his lap, you've seen mm. that statue before, uh, is... I don't know if it's in the lobby of the school, but it's, it's in, a, I mean, it's right in the center of the set of the school. So you see that a lot. And she still has her boyfriend, but there's a warlock now that she's kind of attracted to. 
And it just began to bring, in my mind, it just began to make darkness and what they, the idea of, of hailing Satan, very sympathetic because that's what they do. That's normalizing it. It, it, it. Yes, it was normalizing it. And I had to stop watching it. I really, and, and I, I kind of hated to, cause I wanted to, I actually wanted to write something about this and I wanted to finish watching so I could know more and, and kind of delve into this more, but I had to stop. Cause I felt mm-hmm. like I was, I felt like I was allowing this normalization of Satan to come into my home mm. and I had to stop watching him. Well, I, have some, I have some good news. They just finished the third season and they've canceled the series. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the name Lucifer means light, mm-hmm. you know, according to, to mythology, this was the, the, the brightest of the angels this was the this was the shining star, but Satan started worshiping himself and sort of instead of worshiping God. Satan wanted to be the one in charge, and and um, because of his pride, this is what got him cast out, and and he was given um, uh, the rulers, uh, you know, reign over this realm. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's great mythology for explaining why evil things happen because, well, this being is allowed to, uh, to have, um, full reign over this. And there's this fight over good and evil all the time. But one of the things, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote that one of the, one of the cleverest things that the devil does is to convince you that he does not exist. Mm -hmm. So when you... Um, when, when we are, when people say, well, there's no such thing as a devil or there's no such thing as evil. Right. There's no, again, guy with red skin and and horns on his head. But when we refuse to acknowledge that there are forces in the world that are opposed to goodness and life and forgiveness and grace, when we refuse to acknowledge that, then we, uh, we don't name it. And so it can just do what it wants to do without being called out. So I think it's really important to critically watch these depictions in popular culture and also think about, okay, how are these maybe representing the ways we see structural sin or structural evil in the form of um, racism or, um, uh, uh, or homophobia or xenophobia? where these systems start to demonize people and, and, and try to make us equate these groups or these individuals with things that are less than human so that we can do awful things to them thinking that we're the good guys. So it's, it's very, it starts to get very muddied when we start looking at, at the ways in which people will use these symbols and ideas and flipping them around to serve their own purposes. Absolutely. Many, many thanks to Dr. Leah Shade for her insight and wisdom on this topic. In fact, if you'd like to hear more of Dr. Shade talk about evil as it's represented in pop culture, check out my special additional content at PositivelyJoy.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Positively Joy today. 
Go to PositivelyJoy.com for inspiration, encouragement, and past episodes. Follow the podcast and review and subscribe wherever you go for podcasts. Don't forget to check out our cool merchandise with our new logo. And also on the website, go to the talk tab and leave us a message on what you love about Positively Joy and what you'd like to hear in the future. Again, thanks so much for being with us. Bye for now.